leagues and it's real hurt. To be honest, I don't really care. And, um, before, I'll see people on TV in our country and other countries just experiencing terrible things. And when my soul is feeling kind of bankrupt, I look at that and I, my heart does not really go out there as it probably should. I, I don't even think so much. Let's think how I can run from the and I, you know, flip the channel. Um, I don't know if you can relate to that, you know, but my soul, when, when it's not at rest, I begin to feel that I'm being afraid at the Think about what that looks like, you know, where not physically and emotionally and spiritually and uh, mentally. And then, and then sometimes I'll admit, it goes beyond praying where I think, I think I'm beginning to unravel in certain areas, you know, and I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, Maybe you can relate to that. In fact, as I've talked to a handful of you in the room, uh, and I've gotten to know a lot of you guys, I, I know that you can relate to that because you've experienced similar things in your life. Um, which is why, you know, this this idea of needing rest for our souls, it's not just an American thing. It's not just a university student thing. Uh, it's not even a Christian thing or a non-Christian thing. This is just a thing. You know, it's a universal human need. You know, everyone was designed with a need for real rest for their souls. And yet often, if we're being honest, we really don't experience that rest. Which begs the question, why? If it's such a need, why do we not experience the rest that we really need? Now, I know each of us has our own unique story and things that are going on in our lives, but I'd be willing to bet that probably one of two reasons is a big part of why you and why I do not experience rest for our souls more often than not. And the first reason is this. We all have way too much fear to rest. We have way too much fear to rest. And if we're being honest, we struggle with what I call one of the three FOMOs. Fear of missing out, fear of man's opinion, and fear of mom's opinion. Now, I wonder when I wrote that, I was like, are they going to, is it going to be laughter because it's, you know, too close to home, or is it going to be totally quiet because it's, you know, like, that's right. Um, but who knows? Uh, you know, oftentimes I think in the first one there, fear of missing out, it causes us to say yes to so many things in our lives that you know, our schedule is jam-packed with stuff where we, we don't have enough time to think, much less get done every single thing we have going on inside of our schedules because we're running from one thing to the next. And, and this FOMO, this fear of missing out, it really can take a lot of forms where maybe it's a fear of missing out on experiences. Uh, or fun that there is to be had and, and when you're in LA there's an endless amount of experiences and fun that you can have um, maybe it's a fear of missing out on things you're doing with friends you're like I'm doing that I don't want to do it too you know maybe it's a fear of missing out on clubs here on campus and dear God knows that there's over 600 plus clubs here on campus so that could just lead to paralysis just right there trying to figure out how to you know not miss out on all those things um, or maybe it's a fear of missing out on you know networking so that you can get that internship or you can get that job which will lead to that career which will allow you to make the money you need to make which that's a talk in and of itself but there's an entire FOMO around I've got to make that kind of money because if I don't I'm going to miss out on the money opportunity so yes I don't care where the internship is I'm going to take it you know Siberia send me there if it promises me a job when I graduate you know and so this fear of missing out really keeps us from really experiencing the rest for our souls that we need and that we long for and then there's the fear of man's opinion. And this fear is a little different because it's not so much, hey, look, I got a little armrest here. Uh, it's not so much a, a fear of um, missing out, more so it's a fear of what others will think of me if I miss out. 
Um, it's what others will think of me if I don't perform at a certain level. If, what others will think of me if I don't get the grades or keep up the certain image or you know, have the reputation or the resume that they think I ought to have. And if you really, if you've ever stopped and thought about it, like thought about what you do on a given day or a given week and thought, how much of that do I really do out of the motivation of really just seeking the approval of the people around me? You know, whether that's friends, whether that's family, whether that's future employer, whether it's a boyfriend or girlfriend or a potential boyfriend or girlfriend. I mean, we're always doing things a lot of times out of motivation of what do they think about me? And there's this constant compare and compete Compare and compete that we, that we see in America in general, but especially, I mean, you guys, I mean, you can feel it. You can cut it with the knife here at USC. This compare and compete here at USC where it's like, I'm, you're constantly wondering, like, how they're doing so well and they're doing so much and I have to do so well and I have to do so much and I don't want to fall behind, you know, whatever that means, you know, falling behind. I mean, falling behind who, falling behind what? And we have to measure up to this. And so it's fear of man's opinion, really what it is, it, it can become unnerving where it really leads us uh, to really stay in this, this rat race that's created around us um, to the point that, you know, we're just, we're not finding rest. And uh, I'm not really sure if we're going, and you're not really sure, you know, you're, you're on this rat race and you're, you're headed in a direction, but you're not even really sure if that's the direction you should be headed in and why you're headed there, but you're making great time because you're going at breakneck speed. So because of this fear of man's opinion. And then to make it even more confusing, part of this that we're talking about here is actually not even a bad thing, right? I mean, to, to, we were designed as humans to work. You know, contrary to popular opinion, work was not something that was created after man chose to sin and God said, well, it was all Disneyland vacation, but now you got to work, you know? I mean, it's like, no, I mean, like, work was something that God created as a good thing before, you know, mankind chose to sin and turn away from God. So part of this, you know, we... We were designed, you know, you're, you, you think, but I have this innate desire to uh, want to make progress and things. Is that a bad thing? No. I mean, you know, God, we're made in God's image, and we have the fingerprint of God in our lives. You know, God is a God that he likes progress, so therefore it's natural. No, we like progress. You know, but although God did design us to make progress and to, to accomplish and do some work in this world, he never intended for, it, for us to be in this constantly stressed out, exhaustive state while we but fear um, can be a hard thing to really keep us from rest for our souls because it, it just chokes us. And then the third FOMO, which is really fear of mom's opinion, which I could have could also be you know fear of dad's opinion, but then that would be photo and that mess with my three FOMO. So we're going to call it fear of mom's opinion. But really, what that is is uh, really just the same thing as fear of man's opinion, but with your parents. Because as I was thinking about, it, I was like, you know, that's kind of a category in and of itself, right there. I mean, like. We people think about what other people think, but my parents, like, we really think a lot of times about what do my parents think about this? And, and honestly, that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. I mean, it's a good thing. You ought to give an appropriate weight to think about what your parents think about the things you're doing because they're your parents, you know? And it's actually not even a bad thing to think about what other people think about you because, you know, the, you ought, to a degree, you ought, you ought to care about that. That's an important thing. And doing good work and wanting to make progress, those are good things. Those are not bad in and of themselves. Oftentimes, a lot of our work is really, it's centered around other people. Well, we're trying to really help other people accomplish things, and that's a good thing. But as we talked about last week, you know, a good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes an ultimate thing. But we have to have it to really make our lives come together and make our lives feel complete. So fear, in its various forms, can be a, one of the big 
things that really stops us from really experiencing rest for our souls. And then another big reason I think is often we misunderstand the kind of rest we need and therefore we seek it in the wrong places. So even if we realize, okay, you know, I need rest, oftentimes we don't understand the kind of rest we need, so we seek it in the wrong places. For example, you know, and I, and I struggle with this too, uh, people often confuse distraction with rest. You ever notice that? You know, we need rest, so we distract ourselves by watching TV or playing video games. Uh, or we need rest, so we decide to hop on social media for an hour. And granted, I mean, I'm guilty of this too. While that does provide some temporary relief, when it's all over, you're still exhausted. You're still not rested. You've got a little bit of temporary relief, but you're still tired. And the feeling of stress and anxiety, that doesn't go away after you're done binge-watching Netflix. You know? and, then, and then when it gets even more dangerous is when in order to really cope with this restlessness and these feelings that we got going on, we turn to even more dangerous things for temporary relief like drugs and alcohol and other substances. And the problem is, though, after you have that, after you get over that hangover, I mean, the soul rest that you're lacking is still present. And in fact, it's just become even more intensified because of all the previous choices you just made. So how do we really get past all this to really find rest for our souls? You know, how do we get over our fear that keeps us from resting and where do we look and what can we go to that will really provide us the rest for our souls that we really need and that we really long for well as I said before you know this need for rest for our souls is not a uh, American thing it's not even a 21st century thing although I heard last night in Freshman Connection that your generation is the most stressed out generation so congratulations I don't know if that you win not really Um, but uh but you know, th- this, this need for rest for our souls, it's just a, it's a thing thing. It's a human thing, you know, no matter where you are or where you're from. And you know, on the other side of the world, in an area of Palestine, back a long time ago in the first century AD, there were a bunch of people there who really needed rest for their souls too. And in the midst of this, Jesus was living among these people. And he would see crowd after crowd after crowd of people. And he'd be in home after home after home of all these different people. And he'd be like, wow, these people need rest for their souls. And on one of these days, as he's, as he's speaking to a crowd of people in some of the towns of Galilee, Jesus explains how we can actually experience rest for our souls. And his answer to them would be the same answer he gave to us in 2019 here at USC. And it's found in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And this is what it says. It says, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, these verses, there, there's a ton that we could unpack from these verses. I mean, we could decide to do a whole series just on these three verses, but... We're not going to. We don't have that much time. Um, So I want to give you a few things to kind of get some handles on some of what this verse means. Because oftentimes, if if you're like me, I come across verses like this, and I think, man, it sounds really encouraging. It sounds like it could be really helpful. But I can't wrap my mind around what that looks like. And so I don't actually end up getting to leverage the benefits of verses like this. So we're going to unpack it just a little bit tonight. Um, The first thing that Jesus says here, he says, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and in need of rest for your soul, he says, come, come to me. Now, 
And what Jesus is really saying here is that, man, if you want rest, if you want rest for your souls, it's really going to be found in a relationship with me. And the invitation, it's available to you, but you simply have to come to me. And what's interesting is that uh, within these verses, Jesus actually quotes something that an Old Testament prophet by the name of Jeremiah uh, said centuries before this, that God had told Jeremiah to tell the people of Israel, tell them this so they can find out how to have rest for their souls. And this is what it says in Jeremiah 6.16. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask for the good way and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. So both Matthew and, and Jeremiah, you know, it says you will find rest for your soul. Except Jeremiah says the way you're going to find it is on a path. On a good path. On this ancient path of God and his ways. Now then hundreds of years later, what Jesus does is he takes that idea and he clarifies it. And he says, I am that path. He says, you know, I'm the way you're going to find real rest. You know, that ancient path that Jeremiah was talking about, that that good path, that path of God, that's me. You know, you're going to find rest in me and in no one else. Then Jesus says this in Matthew 11. He says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, many of you know what a yoke is. I don't want to insult your intelligence, but just in case you don't, you know, I want to make sure we're all on the same page because it's not the center of an egg. In fact, it's not even spelled the same way. Now, I didn't realize it wasn't spelled the same way because I'm terrible at grammar, but it's not um, until I looked it up. So this is a picture of a yoke, in case you're wondering. And according to Google, a yoke is a wooden cross piece that is fastened over the necks of two animals and attached to a plow or a cart that they had to pull around. And so this is what would have been in the minds of the people. As they were hearing, take my yoke upon you, this is what they would have heard. And this is kind of, you know, probably what they saw back then. And now, you guys are not a bunch of bulls, you know, but all of you, including myself, we are all currently carrying around a yoke of some kind. All of us are pulling, you know, a cart full of expectations that we're trying to live out in our life. All of us are pulling a cart full of desires and goals that we want to see accomplished in life. Some of those are our goals. Some of those are goals that people have given us. But we are pulling those in our cart under our yoke. And our yoke, really, it, it represents our way of doing life and the energy we exert uh, to accomplish and bring to fruition all the things that are in our cart. So that's a mouthful. So I put it up here on the slide so you can get it. You know, this, I mean, if you want to think, like, what is that? Okay, I get it. Yeah, I'm pulling a cart. But what is that really? Well, really... As I was thinking about, your yoke is really, it represents the way you do life. It represents the way you do life and the energy that you exert to really accomplish and bring to fruition all the things that you're pulling in your cart. And it's heavy. And the reason it's so heavy is because you're pulling it all by yourself. And sometimes it can feel pretty crushing. I, I know that's true for me. And so what Jesus is saying is, guys, I get it. I know your yoke is heavy. And I know it's crushing, and I know you're not even sure all the things you're pulling around there are worth pulling around. So here's the deal. Why don't you do this? Why don't you unhook from your yoke and come pull my car with me and under my yoke? And then you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden, it's light. Now, guys, I don't want you to miss this because you can read and go, huh, but really, like, this is a pretty amazing thought. Jesus is offering us an incredible invitation here. What he's saying is, uh, you know, here, why don't you do this? I know 
your small little cart over here is incredibly heavy, but why don't you unhook from that and come join me in pulling my massive cart of all the things that I'm doing throughout history in the lives of people all over the world, and that's going to actually feel lighter for you because I'm the one pulling it with you. You know, I'm in that yoke. And what you see is no matter how massive of a load you might be pulling, when you have God pulling it with you, it's, it's pretty light. You know, no matter how massive of a load you're pulling, when you have God pulling it with you, it's, it's fairly light. Now, if you're new to Christianity, this, you may think, this is the best news I've ever heard. And you're right, it is the best news, you know. But for some of you guys that have grown up around uh, Christianity, and maybe you've, you've seen these verses before, um, or maybe you've heard ideas like this growing up in church life, and maybe you've even decided yourself that you've begun a personal relationship with Jesus, but you're not really experiencing the rest in your souls that you think you need. You might be wondering, hey, is Jesus just kind of, you know, saying a lot of flowery language here, but that really doesn't apply to real life? You know, is that what he's saying? Um, and oftentimes, you know, I, I admit, you know, for, that's a valid concern because for me, a long time, I wondered the same thing, like, yeah, but really? I mean, really? Um, but here, there's two points of clarification though, that for me have really made a big difference as I've really tried to figure out, is this true? Um, that have really helped me in understanding not only what this verse really means, but really to be able to experience the reality of the rest that Jesus offers. And the first is this. You know, Jesus promises us rest for our souls as we join him in his yoke not as we try to get him to join us in our yoke. That was a big thing I missed for a long time. Too often times I would find myself smashing up against the wall of exhaustion only to realize, oh, I left his yoke. You know, I left, you know, doing life his way and pulling what he wanted me to pull, and I've gone back to my yoke, and I'm pulling what I think I want to do and then doing it in my way. And guys, rest for our souls, it's a good thing, but remember what we talked about last week about good things. The good things we have in life, they come into our lives and they stay in our lives on the pathway of following Jesus, not on the pathway of those following those good things apart from Jesus. So the rest is found in joining him in his yoke, not getting him to join us in our yoke. And again, like we talked about last week, this doesn't mean that you have to live a one-dimensional life where, you know, there's only one thing I do and that is go to church and read my Bible. You know, I mean, that's not what that means. But what that means is that we really live with God at the center of our life so that he's the one that really decides what gets to be an arena of our life and how we handle those arenas. That's what that means. And then the second point of clarification that really helped this verse being like, oh, that's what it means. is centered around this part of the verse that says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. See, as we take on Jesus' yoke, and we learn from him, what, what that really means is you become a student of Jesus. You become an apprentice, if you will, of Jesus and learning to do life his way. But this involves not only being a student of what he said, that's, that's obviously, that's part of it. A lot of people have figured that out over years. Okay, I probably should learn to do what he said. You know? But it also means that we're a student of how he lived as well, which is really learning the rhythms and routines of life. And that was the part I missed for a long time, and you're a lot younger than me, and so you can not do what I did for a long time and miss this part. You can learn to practice this now. Um, and this is important because, see, if we try to live out what he said without really following his overall style of life, um, 
we're going to become even more burdened than when we were just pulling our own yoke by ourselves. And maybe that's where many of you guys are at tonight. Maybe you guys are thinking, ah, that, that is what, that's what I've been doing, you know. Trying to just perform in a certain way without really changing the way you live your life, that doesn't work, you know. And, and maybe you've, you've found that to be the case. You know, it would be like, just to give you an example, it would be like if you had a favorite athlete and you thought, you know, for me, like growing up, if it was basketball, it was like, Michael Jordan, later on, Shaquille O'Neal, Corey Bryant, those kind of guys. Um, but if you had a favorite athlete and you wanted to perform like him, so you get the jersey, you know, you start practicing the moves, and you're, you're trying to perform like him in game situations. Now, are you ever going to be as good as that pro athlete in, in, in the game time situations? No. No, I'll save you the suspense. No. Um, in case you're wondering. And the reason for that is, is because, why? Well, because we're just trying to imitate that athlete and what they do on the field in the game time situations. But yet, the problem with that is, is we fail to remember what allowed that athlete to perform in, with such you know, amazement on the field and with such an effortless kind of style is all the things that he did off the field, not what he did on the field. You know, His, his diet, his, his practices, all the regiments, all the, the way he slept, the way he lived his life, really allowed him to be the athlete he was on the field. And so in the same way, if we're going to really find rests in the yoke of Jesus, we can't think that means, okay, I'm just going to, you know, learn his words and then I'll figure it out on my own and try to pull it off. That'd be the same thing as, you know, hooking ourselves up to the yoke of Jesus with Jesus not next to us and trying to pull the car all by ourselves. And you're going to find that, and if you have not already found it, to be incredibly exhausting and frustrating. I've been there. Instead, we must learn from and adopt his way of living and not just asking the question, you know, what would Jesus do in this situation, but really learning how did he live in all the different aspects of his life that really enabled him to live the way he lived and learning to live that way in our own lives. And this won't happen all tomorrow, although you can actually start tomorrow. Um, but what this is, guys, this is really a whole life process in which we learn to do everything we do on his behalf and with his strength and really in his ways. So when Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he's not just saying, take my words and, and try to do your hardest to try to live them out. He's not saying that alone. Although he is saying, yes, we do need to learn from his words. But what he's talking about is not only learning his words, but learning the routines and the rhythms of his life as well just like you would do if you were trying to actually become like and imitate you know, your favorite pro athlete. So my suggestion to you, and one of the things that I've begun to do, is I'd encourage you to begin to get in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and begin to not only figure out, okay, what did Jesus say about what's important and how to handle different areas of life, but then read the Gospels and sort of a, with the mute button on and, and look at what did he actually do. What did he actually do? What were the routines and rhythms of his life that allowed him to begin to so effortlessly put into practice some of the things that he taught so much? And so to get you started on that, I, I want to give you four, uh, four rhythms that, that I, I've seen in Jesus' life. There's a lot more, but these are four just to kind of get you started that you can begin to actually put into practice in your life and actually really begin to experience some of the rests for your souls that he offers as we join him in his yoke and learn from him. So the first rhythm is this. Jesus, one of the things you see about Jesus' life is he regularly spent alone time 
with his Heavenly Father of Fellowship. He regularly spent alone time with his Heavenly Father of Fellowship. You know, you would often, if you read the Gospels, you often see him carving out time to pray. And, and no doubt why he's praying, he's probably meditating and thinking through some of the Old Testament passages that he had memorized because you see him quote the Old Testament all the time and people didn't walk around with you know, a Bible in their hand. There, there was not the Bible back then. There was the Old Testament alone. I mean, he was living the New Testament. And, you know, and, and as Jesus would carve out this alone time with his heavenly Father, you know, he would just enjoy some unhurried time of fellowship and getting to learn from him. And, you know, and as my, as my wife and I were, were talking about that at night, she goes, you know, I think he actually probably had a leg up on, on most of us and be able to have some unbroken fellowship with God. I mean, he was perfect and the Son of God. But as we talked about that, like, yeah, but that makes it even more significant because, you know, here is the Son of God who lived perfectly, and yet he felt the need to pull away and get regular fellowship with his Father to get encouragement and to get perspective, to get uh, strength, and to get guidance on how to live. And you and I, we, we can begin to put this rhythm into practice in our life as we learn to get some alone time of fellowship with, with our Heavenly Father and as we learn to get in his word and begin to just have fellowship with him through prayer and, and learning what he has to say in his word. And then a second rhythm of Jesus' life that, that's connected to the first, but it's a little bit different, is Jesus would regularly practice times of solitude and silence. Now this may seem like an odd concept to you, and it was to me at first, but the more you get familiar with it, it becomes a little less so. See, sometimes one of, when you read the uh, gospel, what you realize is like, Jesus would practice solitude and silence a lot. Sometimes it was early in the morning. Sometimes it was, you know, late at night. Sometimes, you know, there's one time he'd practice solitude and silence for 40 days. Now, I'm not suggesting you start with a 40-day, you know, vow of solitude and silence, but um, this was something you see that Jesus practiced quite often. And as I've begun to really begin to practice, you know, here and there, sometimes it was once every couple months. Sometimes, you know, now I'm trying to make it more of a couple hours on a weekly basis. Um, there's been several things I've found that this really helps in, in my life. One of those things is um, it allows me to have some unhurried think time. Because, um, see, part of the reason that you and I are so uh, feeling exhausted and restless is we are so behind on think time, and we need that in our lives. You know, it's, when you're behind your think time, it's like a computer that has too many programs open and running and eventually starts to run slower, and eventually it starts to get hot, and then you get the screen of death. You know, I mean, that's, and it's the same way when we get behind our, our think time. You know, we need that think time. And then another thing I found that solitude and silence really has, has done in my life is actually really kind of best described in this quote uh, by Dallas Willard uh, from his book called Spirit of the Disciplines. If you've never read it, I highly encourage you to read this book. Now, this is not a, you know, uh, just when you're falling asleep, I'll read a few pages kind of book. This is, you know, he, he's a thinker, and he actually taught here at USC for, for a number of years. And this is what he says about the idea of, um, of solitude. He says, the normal course of the day-to-day -day human interactions lock us into patterns of feeling and thought and action that are geared to a world set against God. Nothing but solitude can allow the development of a freedom from the ingrained behaviors that hinder our integration into God's order. See, in solitude, what you're learning to do is you're learning to really kind of step out of the rat race of life and step away from people for a time. And we were made for relationships, but sometimes we need to step 
away from that, just to be alone with our Heavenly Father, to really think and to really relax and to really just kind of unplug from the, the daily patterns of life. And as you do that, one of the things you'll discover is not only that you have a soul, but you'll begin to find that soul begin to relax and to rest a little bit. And the silence part is really what, what makes the solitude a reality. So, you know, I'd encourage you, if you practice it, man, try to get in somewhere that's quiet, you know. Uh, and at the middle of the day at a table at Starbucks or in the village is probably not the optimal place for solitude and silence. But, you know, if that's all you got, that's better than nothing, you know. But I'd encourage you, you know, begin to carve out some time where you can really begin to practice this. And, I, and, I, and I'll, uh, I'll just save the suspense. The first time you do it, as I, you know, got to experience with some of the people that, uh, this summer that I did it with, that was their first time, it's kind of a little awkward. It kind of feels like, what do I do? It's, I've never had silence. I mean, I'm always talking. In fact, I probably should shut up now to have silence, you know. That's like, I mean, you know, it's a little awkward. Uh, and you're like, I've been, it must have been an hour, five minutes. Okay, oh my gosh. Uh, um, but, but I guarantee you, the, the more you begin to practice it, and, it, and it's, a, it's, it's an experimental thing, you have to work with it, um, you will not only, uh, it'll become less awkward, but you actually begin to crave that time where you really are like, I need that time in my life, you know. And that's not just if you're an introvert or an extrovert. I mean, that's just the thing. You know, I'm an extrovert, and, I, and that's something I crave. And, and I know a handful of you guys that have begun to practice this in your life, and you realize, like, that is so helpful, and I need to do that. And then the third rhythm of Jesus' life is, the, is that, you know, while he lived, one of the things you notice about his life is he was never in a hurry. And I think one of the reasons he was never in a hurry is Jesus built in margin in his life. He built in margin in his life. And so I think that's something we ought to do. Um, now, if you're thinking, as I say that, margin, you know, if I built in margin, Jeremy, I would not get everything done that I have to do, you know, which that's an, that's an easy thought to think. But a question that I would, I would pose to you, based on whose list? Based on whose list, you know? Whose list will you not get all accomplished if you put margin in your schedule? Because see, the thing is, Jesus had a, pretty, had a pretty full life. And I know many of you are busy, and I'm fairly busy, but I'd imagine Jesus had more on his plate from, from the Heavenly Father than he, God puts on our plates. And, uh, and yet, at the end of Jesus' life, he was able to say, you know, God, I've accomplished everything you've given me to do. Accomplished everything. Which is not something that we tend to be able to say even on a daily basis, much less on a whole life spectrum basis. So I'd encourage you to think, when you say, you know, I wouldn't be able to accomplish everything I need to do, whose lists? You know, is that stuff God's put on your plate that you can't accomplish, or is that stuff that you've put on your plate that you can't accomplish, or other people have put on your plate? And then the last rhythm, and there's more you could get from Jesus' life, but there's just a couple, is Jesus knew when to rest by sleeping or pulling away and retreating. You know, he knew, he knew when to rest by sleeping or pulling away and retreating. You know, Jesus, as you get into the life of Jesus, you see he had a lot of really full days, and he had a lot of work to do and in a short time to do it. But at the same time, there was often occasion you see Jesus taking a nap, you know, or, or, you know, saying to his closest followers, hey, you know what, guys, let's go... Let's go out and, and go boating on the, on the lake, or let's go up to the mountains and let's get some time away where we can encourage one another and just, just rest and retreat, and you can learn from me. I mean, 
Let's just, let's go do that. Let's get out of the things we're doing here and right now. And, you know, what you see is Jesus and his disciples, I mean, they accomplished a lot. Yet, they still found rest for their souls as they would make the regular time to occasionally just retreat and to get away and to rest. And next week, you have an opportunity to practice this rhythm. In case, segue. Um, but, uh, but as I was thinking about that, I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, I did not create this point for that purpose, but I thought, that is true. You know, next week, you have an opportunity to literally go to the mountains, not the same mountains, but go to the mountains as well to encourage one another and to rest and to get out of the normal rhythms of life and to begin to learn from God and encourage one another and to have some time of retreat. And guys, that, that, that's important. I'd encourage you to buy up the opportunity because we need rest. We need times to retreat. So tonight, guys, we, we've looked at how our need for rest for our souls is essential and how the terrible shape we're in when we don't have it. And we talked about how fear and looking for rest in the wrong places really keeps us from experiencing the kind of rest we need, but how Jesus really does offer us a way out of our state of restlessness when he makes the offer he does in Matthew 11, when he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we talked about what that means and how it requires that the first thing you do is you have to really come to him. And so for some of you guys, maybe that's your next step. Maybe you think, I've never come to him. You know, I've never begun a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, maybe that's what you need to do tonight in order to move along the path of really experiencing rest for your souls. And then he says, you know, we need to lay down our yoke and instead we need to take upon his yoke. And he says, that's not going to be a burden. And the reason why it's not going to be a burden is not because it's not a massive cart that he's wanting us to pull around, but it's because he's pulling it with us. And when you're pulling anything with God, it feels pretty light. And then he says, the way it's going to continue to not feel like a burden is you have to not work against me or work by yourself. You have to work with me as you learn to imitate me and as you learn to practice not just what I said, but the rhythms of how I do life. And so I want to close our time tonight by reading you a short psalm uh, written by a man named David, whom we talked about last week, who actually is uh, described by God as a man after God's own heart. And this psalm, I think, one of the things, I, I reason I want you guys to hear this is I think it really does paint a really good picture of what living in the yoke of Jesus really looks like, you know, in life. And what I hope you see is that, you know, rest for your souls is not something that is purely circumstantial. Um, you know, God actually has the ability to give you rest for your souls when things are going really well and when things are going really terrible, you know. And the reason is, is as we come to him and link up with him, he'll provide us rest because the rest is found in him. He is the path where rest is found. And so I want to read you Psalm 23, um, and I encourage you to spend some time reading it more on your own. Um, and, you know, and this may be a little bit odd for you. You don't have to do this, but if, if you would, I'd encourage you to just close your eyes while I read this. Um, and just kind of imagine he paints a great picture and you know, looking at me will just make that picture look terrible. Uh, so close your eyes and just imagine you know, what this would look like. You know, get a taste of what it would look like to learn to live in his yoke. And then we'll wrap up. So Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray for us. Father, um, God, uh, it is so easy to see our need for rest, but it's so hard to figure out where to find it. And so, Father, I really do pray that you would allow us to not just see what you said there and the offer you made us and go, that sounds nice. I think I found another way because that would be foolish. But God, I really do, I, I thank you that, that you really give us a way and that you really provide us a path that uh, you really are all we need. Not, you are not only the, the energy for our rest, but you are the path for the rest and you're the model for how that's done. And so God, I really do pray that as we begin to put into practice the rhythms of your life and learning from you and taking your yoke upon us and learning from you, that we would really experience a rest for our souls and that that would again give us a taste of, wow, one day I'm going to have this forever in eternity with you. And God, that people around us would want and see and taste the same thing that we're experiencing and that, God, that you would be spread throughout this campus and around this world because we are beginning to experience real rest for our souls.